0: And now back to David Spada and Elliot Harris for more sports and torts on talkzone.com.
1: Elliot.
2: Noah's amazing today. I'm driving back from the rolling meadows courthouse going to the studio and I've been trying to get Frank Gifford on the show for a while, and I see that Sam Huff returned my call. So I called Sam. Sam talked to me on the phone for 30 minutes about football, basically his opinions on it. And I'm sitting here going, wait a second. That's,
0: that's a segment.
2: I know he, he was one of our first interviews on sports and tours. I think he actually was right. uh, with Paul Warfield on the first show. But yeah. he went into today's NFL. He doesn't like. He goes, it's not the same. We don't have the hitting. It's all offensive orientated. He talked about the coach. He goes, you could quote me on this. He said, Coaches don't win games for you, they just lose games for you. <laughs> and he's right. And he said a lot of players don't know who he is. They go, "Did you play football?" You think Sam,
0: Sam Huff? They don't know. Well, it's like history is an afterthought if that much for a lot of people in in today's society. So what happened 50 years ago? I mean, he, 50 plus years ago, I don't care. I grew up playing football in the 90s or in the early 2000s and, uh, you know, most, most of these guys we have on, there's probably a lot of players. If you just gave them a name, they wouldn't recognize them. You, You mentioned, you know, Paul Warfield. How many of today's players? outside of maybe the Cleveland Browns or Miami Dolphins know who Paul Warfield is.
2: He basically said today's game is agent-driven. The agents are just concerned, he said, about getting their 20% commission and the players about the money, and it's not the same game. He said they had second jobs. He said when he got traded from the Giants to the Redskins, he was making 19000 a year. He got 38000 from the Redskins, and he said, you know what? I was so mad at my coach at the time because he got me traded. I wanted revenge. And what does he do? He says we scored 72 points on the Giants, and he said, that wasn't enough. I had us kick a field goal at the end of the game, and I looked at the coach and said, now I got you. Yeah. I mean, he said, I did nothing wrong. He said, I did absolutely nothing wrong, but basically the coaches wanted to get rid of me because, you know what, he was an offensive coach, and I was from the defense. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah. And great, he said, I mean. Great player. He's talking. He goes, I'm looking at pictures on the wall, and on the wall I've got a picture of me, one of my favorite plays, knocking out Jim Brown. <laughs> and not many people did that. No. But, again, let's get to a guy on the phone, a three-time Pro Bowler, an NFL Hall of Famer, former Bronco, a guy who played bigger than his name, the franchise Floyd Little. How you doing, Floyd?
1: Well, i gotta—I got to correct you. It's five-time Pro Bowler, not three. Everybody got that three, and it's five. So I've always had to correct people for getting the wrong information. Okay,
0: five times. Well, David, was there ne- you go. he was never very good at math. You'll have to pardon I'm him. All right. I'm sorry. And reading. Sure. Five is, five That's is why he five, became a lawyer.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
2: Floyd, how thrilled were you last year going in that Hall of Fame? Was that the happiest moment of your life?
1: Well, i got to tell you that uh, being a Hall of Famer with so many guys that I've watched and admire over the years, and now I'm one of them, and, and going in with Emmett Smith and Jerry Rice and, and John Randall and Ricky Jackson and Russ Graham and, and uh, uh, all of the other guys that went in with me, I think that's just fantastic. I, I'm, I'm just thrilled. That was the highlight of my sports career.
0: Now, David and I were just talking about Sam Huff and Sam Huff saying how players today, a lot of them, don't know who he was. Do a lot of them know who you are or well, were?
1: I think, that, I think the Sports Illustrated article a year ago really let people know who I am and, and where I But they are a lot more today since I'm a Hall of Famer than it was prior to being a Hall of Famer. Yeah, there's a lot more people recognize me. I think because of the speech that I gave uh, in Canton a year or so ago, They think that that was the best speech ever. In fact, Walter Payton's mother said to me when she had a function, I've never heard a greater speech in my life. So I think the speech has helped me become more recognizable.
0: You wrote it yourself, I will assume. How long did it take?
1: Well, uh, my son and I celebrate his life. He was injured uh, in college and uh, lost his leg. And we celebrate his life every year. And uh, it took us about an, uh, an hour around the pool. For me to write it, and he edited it, and I wrote it, rewrote it, and he edited it, and uh, we put it all together, because we only had uh, six to eight minutes to give a speech, so I got to talk about my whole life uh, as an athlete and a person, and I had eight minutes to do it, so we had to really put all of the things we needed to put in it to make it really effective. How did your son lose his leg? He was uh, going to the store, he went to USC, he was on campus, and he went to the local store to to get some luncheon meat and some bread and two guys tried to rob him and they asked for a hundred dollars. And all he had was two. And, uh, they said he needed a hundred. They're going to shoot him. And, uh, he says, look, well, I guess you have to shoot me. So they shot him close range with a shotgun and on the way to the hospital, he flatlined twice and they brought him back. So that's why it was so special for me to have him there with me during a time when he had, uh, 1987, he had flatlined on the way to the hospital. So for, For me to have him there with me to celebrate the highest uh, award in my life as an athlete, uh, it was very special. Yeah,
0: stuff, real real life sort of puts in perspective this world of athletics that that we talk about a lot. And, you know, the highs and the lows of of a football game, a football team, a season. And you have to understand that the people playing those games have parents, have children, have siblings have lives, and it, it, you know, how did football teach you anything on how to deal with a situation like that?
1: Well, I, you know, the thing about football is when you're told uh, as a young child uh, and a young adult that you're not big enough, strong enough, smart enough, or fast enough, I think you build built uh, a, re- a resentment in you that allows you to rise above, because when you're always been told always been given challenges all your life, I think it does help you become a better person because you know yourself that you are the only person can can say when you had enough. Nobody can tap you out. You have to tap out yourself. No one can tell you what you can do. Uh, but our problem is too many of us allow someone else's opinion or label of us to become our reality. So when people are told enough times that they can't, they start believing it. Me, I didn't believe it. I believed that Let me fail me. Don't you fail me before I get an opportunity to fail. I want to be able to fail myself. And you telling me I can't do stuff without me even trying. Not fair. I'm not going to stand for it. I'm not going to put up with it. I'm going to try it. And then I can actually say I couldn't do it. But let me say that. Don't say it for me. So, yeah, football has taught me a lot by not believing what people think of you and you going out there and establish who you are, what you are, and rise to levels where nobody thinks you can rise to. And that's a part of football that's taught me about life, is that no one can tell me the level of success that I can reach. That's my call, and I'm not going to let you take that away from me. How did you
2: get to nickname the franchise?
1: Well, I saved the franchise because the Broncos was on the verge of being moved to Chicago or or, or Birmingham because they'd never signed a number one draft pick. They, I mean, they drafted the Buntkuses in the in the in the Sears of the world, but they went to the NFL, not the AFL. The AFL was a early new, struggling franchise in the 60s. They started In 67. They hadn't signed anybody, and uh, the leagues merged, and the Broncos signed me, which the Broncos decided to stay and build a new stadium, so I saved the franchise from moving to Chicago or Birmingham, so that's how I got the name, The Franchise.
0: How'd you end up at Syracuse? How come you didn't end up at Penn State or someplace like that?
1: Well, I had 47 scholarships. I was recruited by General MacArthur in New York City with all of the famous Yankees, uh, Elston Howard, uh, Roy uh, Campanella, and so many other great players and. Got a chance to meet a great general uh, in his room in uh, New York City at the Waldorf. And he uh, gave me an opportunity to get the Army, got me an appointment by Senator Humphrey's before he became vice president. And I was heading for Army. He told me I'd be the first African-American general in the United States Army. That means I would have been Colin Powell's boss, General Petraeus's boss, uh, Norman Schwarzkopf's <laughs> Scors- Scors- boss. I would have been a real... Top level general during that time, if I had uh, gone to army, but the guy, na- a guy named Ernie Davis, in his 50th year, winning the Heisman Trophy this year, came to my house, sat with me and my sisters and my mom, and we went out to dinner. And I told him, you know, that i had to go to Syracuse because I wanted to eat my steak and lobster because it was getting cold. And uh, uh, three months, three months later, he died. And I'd given him my word, and I don't have anything more valuable than that. So when I give you my word, that's the only thing of value that I own. That's you know, that's the highest thing of value that I own is my word. So when Ernie Davis passed away, and I never even knew he was sick, uh, I called the coach and told him I was coming to Syracuse because I'd given Ernie Davis my word. That's how I got to Syracuse.
0: Okay. That was Ben Schwartzwalder, right?
1: That was, that was Ben. Okay. You're, you're correct.
0: And you, you were the third in the line of Jim Brown. Ernie Davis, Jim Nance.
1: Well, yeah, Jim was here. Jim, I'll play with Jim and Zonk. I had two good fullbacks to play with. But yeah, Ernie Davis was recruited by Jim Brown, and, and Ernie Davis recruited me. And and uh, that's the trilogy. That's the three uh, 44s. Of course, we had some other ones after us. One being Rob Conrad, who played yeah. for the Miami Dolphins, was number 44 here, as well as uh, Michael Owens, Billy Owens' his brother. But we've had some other 44s after me, but uh, but the Jim Brown and Ernie and, and, and me are the the real uh, 44s. Yeah,
0: that's that's the Mount Rushmore of uh, Syracuse football, certainly.
1: They haven't retired the number 44 yet? Yeah, they retired five years ago at Thanksgiving, and since then they've retired Zonka's number as well as uh, John Mackey's number. But ours, they couldn't retire theirs until they retired ours, so they retired the number 44 five years ago. Okay.
0: And then you also have your Broncos number retired as well.
1: Yeah, Broncos number retired, high school number retired, military school number retired. All the numbers that I've ever worn have been retired.
0: Okay. So are you retired?
1: Well, I was until Syracuse University called me up and says, we need you. I've been an ambassador for Syracuse University for 35 years, and they called me up uh, early this year and said, Floyd, we had one of our guys leave to go to San Francisco as an AD, and there's an opportunity for you to come back and do what you've been doing for 35 years. Work with us in our athletic department with our, all of our athletes, and and we'd like for you to be a part of that. So I said, okay, I'll come out of retirement. And it's been the greatest decision I've ever made, other than coming to Syracuse, coming back to be a part of this uh, university and its athletes, and uh, I'm just enjoying it every day, ever since July. I get up every morning with a big smile on my face. I'm going to Syracuse, and I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to talk to some people, hoping that I can make a difference in their lives.
0: So did you miss the winters in Syracuse? Was that the deciding factor?
1: <laughs> i tell you what. I don't plan to be here when the snow comes. I'll tell you that. I, no, I, I couldn't wait to get out of here when the snow came. But, no, I think I can I can handle it now. i, I got places to go. Uh, when it's too bad, but it's not that really, really not that bad. But as a student here at Syracuse university, it snowed and, and, and that's to be expected. I'm from Connecticut and I'm used to the snow, but, uh, I'll be all right. I'll be
2: all right. We've interviewed 65 NFL hall of famers and most of them say the best player of all time is Jim Brown. Do you agree with that?
1: Well, yeah, I, he, he's a, uh, he's a, he's an icon in the game. He was uh, way before his time. He did some things, uh, as a player that nobody has done and, and, and continues to do. There's no, you know, that's the reason why his numbers are so high playing in a 12 game schedule. It took, uh, players a long time to carry the ball twice as many times and play in almost twice as many games just to catch him. So yeah, he's, uh, he's a great player. He's a good friend of mine and, uh, he, he truly deserves to be a Hall of Famer and, and the best football player that's ever played. No question in my mind. Okay. What
0: do you make of the situation with uh, the Broncos at quarterback with Tim Tebow and being the people's choice, and now I guess he's the coach's choice as well?
1: Well, I've said it when they drafted him. This guy has won at every level. I mean, a, he's, a, he's a Heisman winner, he's a national champion, he's a player that uh, makes things happen. There's three kinds of people in the world those that make them happen, watch them happen, and don't know what happened. <laughs> and Tim Tebow has always made things happen. I said it from the beginning. This is a guy that they drafted. They should let him play. They talk about mechanics. Mechanics don't play the game. People play. The hell with his mechanics? They keep talking about why he can't do That's a bunch of crap. Let him play. I've not seen any left handed quarterbacks in the National Football League that didn't do well. Why is this that? This is a guy. Why do left handed no
2: quarterbacks do well?
1: Because we are all geared to go right hand, the right side. So we are not geared. For a left-handed quarterback, in many many cases, and you just watch them all—from Kenny Stabler to Steve Young to Michael—any of them, they all do well. And here's a left-handed quarterback with some skills. They put him in at the end of the game against San Diego. He almost pulled it out. The guy don't drop the pass. They beat him. Do you think
2: part of the problem is is his political views, and he's basically he's like the All American boy, and people just want to see him fail?
1: Well, no, they say. He, no, I don't think they want to see him fail. I think they want to give him a chance to fail. Just like I said earlier, give him a chance to fail himself. Don't everybody fail him before he gets on the field. I saw his first game at the Broncos. If they don't drop two of his passes, he win his first game. Do an exhibition. But they all talk about his mechanics. His mechanics. his balls too low. He can't. He get it up. They, hey, let him out there. He'll figure it out. If he's not getting the ball off fast enough, he'll figure it out. Don't change what he does that made him successful. Just let him figure it out. Let him play. Then at the end of the day, now you can say he's no good. can't say he's no good before he's played, not when he's won on every level. That doesn't make any sense to me no, as th- a guy who's been that successful as a player. Let him let him play.
0: There are those who question his pass accuracy as being something that would impede his uh, progress in the, the Broncos' winner.
1: Yeah. For those who question him never had on a jack strap or a tent strap. You're right. Let him play. Let him play. He'll figure it out. I saw him in a game against uh, San Diego where he hit uh, Brandon Lloyd on the sideline, hit a guy in the belly in the end zone where he won the game. Three plays. I mean, the accuracy, I saw him play. The guy stopped his
2: ball. Paul Hornig told us before he got drafted, he should be the first pick in the draft. He goes, because this guy could run. He's big. He could do it yeah. all. Who cares yeah. if he's
1: accurate? That's right. That's what Paul Horning is absolutely right. And I talked with Tom Coughlin. I met Tom Coughlin's function down in Sawgrass down in Jacksonville. And Tom came over to me at his dinner and said, Floyd, the Broncos made a heck of a pick when they picked Tim Teeper. I said, why is that? He says, I don't have the time to prepare for him, to defend against him. In a two to three, uh, day, uh, uh, practice schedule. I can't, I can't defend him. And that's why he's so valuable because you can't put together a defense to defend him. He's got too many weapons. So I would hate to have to defend him. This is a guy who's a successful coach in, uh, Nash nice football league You're saying, that's a hell of a, hell of a day because I can't defend him. And yet, you don't even him.
2: Exactly. we got to get going. we got our next guest coming. I have to break Charlie Hennigan, another guy that people had trouble defending back in the day. Okay. Pretty
1: good, guys.
2: Thank you so much for your Thank time, you. Mr.
1: Little. Uh, oh, My problem. My, my,
2: your, your problem, my yes. Pleasure.
1: No. My pleasure, guys. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank
2: Thanks you for coming. was NFL Hall of Famer and five-time Pro Bowler Floyd Little. When we come back, we're going to get to a gentleman who caught over 100 passes back in, in the 60s in the season, something that you didn't see till like the early 90s, Charlie Hennigan. You listen to Sports and Torts, stay tuned.